This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, talking to teacher and author Alicia Stenard. She believes that a topic percolating just below the consciousness of the American public needs to be addressed, school lockdowns. As a longtime Albany teacher, she worried about the effects lockdown drills had on her students' psyches. Not only did the drills distract from learning, but they could leave lasting scars, leading kids not to trust school as a safe place. Still, Stenard could see that the drills are needed. So she came up with a solution. She told her kindergartners a story, serious enough to get them to do the drills promptly, but not frightening. It worked so well, she wrote a book. Rather than tell you about the book, we're going to have Alicia just read her opening line. A pair of squirrels started the whole thing. (laughs) We immediately (laughs) wonder, what is the whole thing? And I guess if she tells us the title, we'll get somewhat of an idea. The title of the book is? It's called The Elephant in the Room, A Lockdown Story. And tell us how you came up with the idea of writing a lockdown story. Well, as a kindergarten teacher, when I was charged with having to teach my kindergarten class uh, the lockdown drill procedures, I scoured the internet, I did all the the reading and my due diligence to figure out the best approach to teach five and six-year-olds and some four-year-olds how to do uh, a lockdown drill. And truthfully, everything I found uh, just didn't sit well with me, it didn't resonate with me, it always used the bad guy in school scenario. It always presented the very realistic uh, details of why we have lockdown drill procedures. And I felt for young children that was an unfair thing to do to them. So then I began thinking of a way that I could approach it that would be compassionate, but would also meet my objective of getting my students to respond quickly and quietly to a lockdown drill and not think it was a game or, or, you know, and I wanted them to take it seriously, but I didn't want to frighten them in the process. So after um, some very um, unfruitful research, I wrote my own book and uh, I used it for years in my kindergarten classroom and I had uh, great success with it. Great success. Not one time did I have a child crying or upset about the lockdown drill. I had great feedback from the parents um, and other teachers that felt that it was really, it, it worked. I felt like I was, I was blessed. I was lucky I hit on something that worked. So um, that's why I wrote it. Yeah. Well, before we get into the book more, which is the solution, I'd just like to unpack a little more. I read um, on some of the things you had written about a stage of life. I think you called it... Um, The magic years? Magical thinking. Magical thinking. And you were saying this is how children believe in the tooth fairy or in Santa Claus. So just tell us about what's happening in young people's brains in in that era, that age group. Sure. So the stage of magical thinking, that developmental stage, really um, hits children around the ages, between the ages of three 
three to seven, three to eight, depending on the child. And uh, basically what it is, is it just means that they're very open to their imaginations and believing in, in their imaginations as reality. So knowing this about children, I thought that would be a perfect way to approach a lockdown drill uh, by tapping into their own natural uh, imaginations and their tendency to believe um, wonderful, creative things. Um, you know, and it's really, that is the reason why when you have a young child who dresses up in a costume, let's say you have a four-year-old who's in a Spider-Man costume or, or a Cinderella costume, they don't think that they're dressing up like that, that character. They think they are that character. And that's just a beautiful time in childhood. So the stage, the developmental stage of magical thinking is, is, is an innocent, pure time where kids are, are, are happy to believe whimsical things. Yeah, that your book taps into that. Another thing that you had written about that I think is worth also having people think about, not just teachers that have to deal with lockdown drills, but all of us living in a world where there seems to be so much awareness. I don't know if there is more um, mass shooting or there's just more media attention to it. But um, you also have written that young minds, children's minds, don't distinguish um, between something that might happen. If you're preparing for a lockdown drill, the fear Mm -hmm. is that this is real as opposed to... right. A fan or a, a potential situation. Yep, exactly. That that is something that I found when doing my research for how to best approach a lockdown drill with young children. And when I I say young children, I mean children that fall in the the grade range of about preschool to second grade. Um, but when I did some research on it, a lot of the advice that I would read. Uh, just said, you know, you go ahead, you tell the real reason that we're doing it, and then you just reassure and remind those children that this is very unlikely, that this is probably not going to happen. And I thought, again, as a mother, knowing my own children, and as a teacher for years, that was not good advice. Because I think in a child's mind, and at that stage of development, certainly, if you're practicing for something, it's probably going to happen. You know, there is no such thing as unlikely in the mind of a child, at least not at that age. So I, I, I felt that was a, a poor approach. Yeah, I grew up, um, you can see the gray hair. I grew up in the era when we all had to jump under our desks um, for drills because of fear over the atom bomb. Yeah. And, I mean, that stays with you. You think of school as a place you want your kid to feel secure and if just if you could talk a little about how how long have you been a teacher oh i've been a teacher for 20 years and i taught kindergarten for nine years and now i teach kindergarten through 10th grade in a prevention program that um, the prevention program focuses on conflict resolution communication skills um 
the handling of anger, avoidance of violence, that sort of thing. So I've been oh, a teacher a long time. Fascinating. I would like to hear more about that because what I was going to ask about was how you make kids feel safe in school. But this tell us a little about this um, program. It goes from kindergarten through 10th grade. Yes. Yeah, this is a wonderful program. I work for the, the Roman Catholic Diocese of Albany, and I am one of the educators that uh, work for the in the Catholic school office and we are funded by a grant from the Mendez Foundation to teach about um, alternatives to violent behavior and how to deal with emotions and how to how to handle um, our own anger and and that sort of thing Uh, so I go into the classes the Catholic schools have this program which I think is fabulous I go into the different grade levels, and um, I teach an age-appropriate lesson for uh, children, depending, you know, whatever grade level they're in, kindergarten through 10th grade, on these topics. So, um, yeah, it's a great it's a great program, and I love being able to speak proactively to children about how to handle emotions and conflict. Um, I find it to be very energizing. It's, it's exciting, I think. Well, it is. There just seems to be so much anger today. I mean, adults express yes, anger yes. as well as children. And I just, I would love to hear, I, I, this is, I, I guess, getting off the topic of your book, but to me it's kind of related because we live in a world where these lockdown drills are necessary yes. because of the unleashed anger. But if you could just kind of walk us through what some of those lessons might be, we could all learn from them, both like for a young age <laughs> And then for up to 10th grade, that's really like a young adult. Well, primarily I would say the foundation of of these lessons, of any lessons that I teach about conflict resolution or anger management or um, a healthy expression of emotion, the fundamental uh, objective is to get the, the student, the child, to see that their feelings, that they are entitled to their feelings, and that expressing their feelings is the best way to get them, take them from the inside and get them out so that they don't build up inside of you and make you uh, angry or sick or unhealthy or um, likely to, to blow, to lose your, lose your cool. And also to help you deal with other emotions besides anger, like anxiety, uh, sadness, uh, fear, uh, feeling left out, all the things that affect children today. And um, I think overall, when I talk to children, I am so impressed and pleased that they have a natural inclination to tap into that, that they have a lot of times all you have to do is give them the language for it so that they can describe how they feel by you know using an I feel statement, I feel upset or I feel worried, I feel happy. And when you give them that language, they seem to be able to, they're just so close to their own emotions, they seem to be able to express them pretty readily, which is which is wonderful to me. And I think that has been a reassurance to me as I've talked to a lot of parents and teachers about lockdown drills in the past year and about the, the method, the premise of my book. 
um, because I see, oh, yes, there is, there's fertile ground here for children. Children want to find healthy ways to handle their emotion. They want to find healthy ways to interact with one another. And uh, fundamental to that is just learning how to express it. So I, It almost seems antithetical, but what you're doing is teaching children, rather than keeping these negative feelings in, to verbalize them, and in getting them out there, right. they can be dealt with so that they don't end up exploding in some way that isn't productive. Right, finding a healthy way to express all of our emotions, whether it's anger or anxiety or fear or just any level of discomfort. And I, I feel like that's one of the biggest, my biggest concerns as a teacher um, about the lockdown drills in general that we're, we're doing with our young children, and that is that we are creating a scenario for children that school is a frightening place, that when you come to school, it feels as if at any moment someone could could barrel their way in and harm you, and we're we are that is just such an injustice to children, um, especially for young children who are just a, beginning to um, adjust to the school environment in the school setting and. Being able to put their trust in these adults that are that are caring for them during the day, the teachers and the staff and the teaching the teaching aides, um, I feel like we we are we are just we're harming them. We're causing anxiety and and doing a disservice to children by focusing so much on harm that could come to them in school. We certainly have to we have to address these things in an honest way with children. I'm not suggesting in any way that we lie to children about what lockdown drills are. I'm just suggesting that we take, that as adults, we shoulder the burden of the reality of a lockdown drill, and we don't put that burden on our little children and ask them to manage that when they are ill-equipped to manage that at their de- at their developmental stage, but also just they're they're powerless at that age. They're powerless. So um, that's what I'm hoping that this book will accomplish. And I and I try to achieve it by using the power of metaphor, using a child's imagination. And metaphorically having, um, in this case, circus animals come into the school um, unexpectedly in search of the children's peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in their lunch boxes, rather than making the children themselves the target of it's the animals. They're after the sandwiches. Yes, they're after the sandwiches. So it's once removed. So there's a tension that's created within the story that the animals are in the school, but at no time do the children feel that they are personally in harm's way. So how did you construct this as an author? Did you think of the metaphor first, the elephant in the room, and think, well, I have to have elephants in this story? Or no. How, how, did that, how, did that, how did you come up with the storyline? I'll tell you, it was a gift to me. It really was a gift. I, I had been doing, as I said, so much research about it, and I was really uh, concerned that I was not coming up with a great, a great method to teach to teach the objectives, which of course, the objectives of a lockdown drill are to get your class to respond quickly and quietly to any emergency situation, not just uh, you know the worst case scenario of a, an intruder or an armed gunman in your in your school. 
But any kind of a emergency situation, we want students to respond very quickly and quietly. So just back up for people that aren't in school. Oh yes. What what exactly separate from your book? But what does a child? What is a child or a classroom expected to do when there's announced that we're going to have our lockdown? Yes. Oh, that's that? a good question. So um, typically, each uh, district will be a little different, but the the basic idea in a lockdown drill is that there may be. Um, you, you're preparing for something that could happen where either there's an intruder in the school or there's some sort of danger or situation in the surrounding area around the school. Maybe there's been um, a, a holdup at a gas station or a chemical spill or, um, you know, uh, a terrible accident. Some, for some, some reason, the children need to stay in their classrooms and the doors are locked in the classrooms and in the schools so that they're safe. That's the that's the basic premise of a lockdown drill. Uh, you know, the of course, the most stressful scenario for a lockdown drill is um, somebody coming into the school with a weapon, and the children have to be very quiet and and um, and hide so that they don't draw attention to their themselves in the classroom. And hopefully, uh, law enforcement comes and and takes care of that situation long before it ever becomes a crisis in a school. So that's the premise of a lockdown drill. And what's expected is that uh, each classroom has a safe place. That safe place is generally away from windows. Um, Sometimes it's a large closet. Sometimes it could be um, little open cubbies that are there for students to keep their their jackets and that sort of thing. Um, Maybe it's just one big wall that's not within the range of the door so that they're they're protected. So there's some kind of physical barrier to protect them. And the expectation is that when the lockdown drill um, begins, that children will very quickly and as quietly as possible, move into their safe spot and stay there. The teacher then follows um, a protocol. Perhaps it's lights on, perhaps it's lights off, depending on the district. Um, There's usually, um, you know, they lock the door and uh, there's some kind of contact on uh, with the phones or uh, walkie talkies with the main office. And they wait there until the lockdown drill is officially declared over. And in that time, it could be just a few minutes or it could be quite a long time, depending on what the the threat or the perceived threat might be to the school. And uh, then at the end of that, it's expected that children will just go back to what they were doing before this this event. Yes, and and that is a you know that's an issue for me as a teacher because the more realistic and frightening we make lockdown drills, the more we get a child's adrenaline going and 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 begin to activate some fear within them, the harder it is to get them back to the point of school, which is the the, the learning, the teaching, the instructional time. And um, I think one of the things that I found that I was very pleasantly surprised about with this approach that I use in my book uh, is that I didn't lose any instructional time uh, or very few minutes because we, would, we had practiced, we were ready for the lockdown drill. We had the lockdown drill. It was over. Nobody was upset about it. We went right back, could pick up where we left off, which felt like a additional win as far as how, you know, how the whole thing played out for me each time I had to practice a lockdown drill. That, to me, sounds like the biggest win of all, because in addition to getting quick compliance with the drill, you haven't scarred 
children's psyches for going forward. Yes, and you know, I I dream big, but I'll tell you, with this little book, I am really hoping to begin a national conversation about lockdown drill procedures for our youngest students. I feel that there's enough stress and strain and anxiety in the life of a child, and in some children much more so than others, that we don't need to compound that by adding a very an overly realistic threat to them on sometimes a monthly basis. These are sometimes performed on a monthly basis um, to a child in school that's supposed to be a safe haven. It's supposed to be a place they can go and relax and learn. You certainly can't learn anything if you're not relaxed. But when I say that I'm hoping to start a national conversation, part of the reason for that is that as I have been discussing my book and and lockdown drills with young uh, four young children with their parents and with teachers, I'm finding that this conversation is just below the surface for so many people. So many parents, grandparents, teachers, administrators are saying, yeah, this is a big problem and we don't have any idea how to solve this situation. Um, And we're looking for a way that we can accomplish what we need to with the lockdown drill and the procedures, but get back to, to teaching in the classroom and learning very quickly. And most importantly, not having children carry the weight of that, the burden of that anxiety throughout the school day, going home with that. There have been, I mean, there are a lot of children that have school anxiety because they're afraid of the next lockdown drill. They're they're going home and reporting stories to their parents and their grandparents that they're afraid to go to school because there might be a bad guy in the school. They're having separation anxiety with their with their family and their caregivers when it's time to go to school. They're having trouble sleeping. Um, I think I know that the lockdown drill is it's unfortunately a reality and it's important reality in the society that we're living in today. But I think we jumped into it very quickly without, without adjusting it for very, for various developmental stages for children, which you can, you can tell a fifth grader is different than what you can tell a five-year-old. And now it's time to go look, take a good look at our protocols take a good look at the system that we have, and make some tweaks. Some tweaks where we're not going to have children who, like the generation of the Cold War, now remember having to hide under their desk. Let's not add that to their memory bank for their school experience of being terrified in a lockdown drill. Yeah, and those times were very different, too. Um, and I'm a feminist, but at that era, the mothers were home, and the uh-huh. children, you hear so much these days about ACEs, you know, adverse yes. childhood experiences, and it seems like children are just dealing with so much more um, than we were as kids back in the 1950s. Absolutely. Um, and just to add another level is, but let's talk about the book itself. So you had... Did it come to you all of a sudden, if I make a story, I I can ease this? How did you come up with the idea of making a a book? Well, as a a Catholic school teacher and as a woman of prayer, I prayed a lot about it. I, I thought, how can I get to 
what I need to accomplish in the best possible way, in the most compassionate way with for, for my students. So I did. I offered it up to prayer. Uh, I love to write. I've been a, um, an author, at least in my own house. <laughs> Notebooks scrawled all over my notebooks in, in my own house. And did you for make many up years. stories for your children? Yes. Oh, yeah. yes. Lots of stories for my children. And I have piles and piles of some some partially finished and some, in my mind, fully finished um, manuscripts. So I'm, my natural inclination is to communicate through writing and storytelling. And um, I think I tapped into what I felt, my, where I felt my strengths were. And I, I, I started to approach this issue, this problem, from a storytelling angle and and then knowing what I know about child development and having been in the classroom for so many years, knowing what I know about children and uh, certainly raising my own children, I, I began to formulate this story about animals coming into the room, into the classroom, into the school, and then I just built on it from there. Then I went from there. The original story, I didn't have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and then I went back and added that. So well, it's, yeah, it's it evolved. It's together. <laughs> it's peanut butter and jelly day. Yes. <laughs> and the students are writing stories and drawing pictures about it when those squirrels that we heard about in the first opening sentence have caused a truck driver to jam on his brakes and tax have fallen on the road. So these are like all tactile things that a kid can understand right. and that causes a flat tire when when the animal train for the circus comes by and happens to land right in front of the school so um it's just fun the way you describe i have a sense you know animals too because you say <laughs> something at one point you write that the ponies will just follow because they're agreeable they're very cooperative <laughs> that's it that's it yes but um it, so it ends up that the animals are in the school and um looking for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and this means that the children have to be quiet and in what in their lockdown drill. Yeah, they have to follow right. their lockdown drill procedures for the animals that are in the school that are coming to get the sandwiches. So the beauty, I think, of the story is that you can ha- you have all the elements of practicing the lockdown drill and um, teaching the lockdown drill procedures correctly, um, but you don't have to give the specifics, the details about why you're doing it. This is a much more fanciful way to to accomplish the same goal, I think. So tell us, did you then try this in the classroom once you'd written the story? Oh, and yes. You- in fact, I, I first, I didn't write the story for a few years. First, this was just part of my curriculum. I told the story. It was part of my storytelling, um, a storytelling lesson that I did about lockdown drills. So um, I I came up with a story. I told the story to the children, kind of built up the excitement about, you know, the animals are in, in the school. And I intentionally didn't choose animals that were truly threatening, like lions and tigers and things that could be, um, that children would really naturally be afraid of. I tried to choose animals that were, that would be large and, and foreboding, like an elephant, but um, but nothing that would be uh, and ponies, terrifying. Which are beloved, yes, and monkeys, exactly. which are considered <laughs> mischievous. Fun. Yes, yes, exactly. And uh, so what I did was I, I told the story, and we would practice the lockdown drill procedures, and and uh, 
after that, I, I think I read the story or told the story maybe once or twice again throughout the year just for fun because the, the students would want me to tell the story. But the beauty of it was that after I told it the first time, because it was a visual, because they could visualize it, it was a story, it was easy for them to recall what to do next. There was a, there was a flow to it. Mm-hmm. They were characters in that story. They knew what to do next, and, and, and they did it. And, and honestly, I'm not exaggerating when I tell you I could get my, my kindergarten students, regardless of what they were doing, whether they were working independently or or playing with their their toys during a free time or time or um, or reading whatever it was, I could get them uh, through the ringing of a little bell and telling them it was a lockdown drill very calmly in their lockdown positions in ten in ten seconds. Ten seconds I could do it for kindergartners and without one tear, without any any fear at all, no anxiety. I very carefully observed and watched my the children in my class to see, is this working? Am I seeing tension on their faces and in their bodies? And every time the answer was no, it's working. It's working. They're not, they're not upset. So, so it was like a game for them. In some ways yeah. it was like a game, although I was very much aware that I didn't want to make, I did not want to attach a lockdown drill I didn't, I didn't want that to be associated with something that would necessarily be a game or silly or fun because I was walking a fine line of how to get them to be relaxed and not feel anxiety, but not look at it as if it were a game of um, hide-and-seek or something. Still having to be serious. Yes, yes. And uh, to my great delight, the, the approach, it worked. And just in case listeners are <laughs> apprehensive about the end of the book, it's the peanuts that lure out the elephants and the monkeys and the ponies who like to yes. <laughs> follow along. And then the punchline to the story is the children get to eat their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and animal crackers. Right. So they get to eat the animals in cracker form. It's really, <laughs> exactly. That that's must have right. been really fun when you thought of that as that, an ending. That was fun. That really was a fun, it was fun when it came to me. Uh, and I, I did feel that it was important that the animals were not removed from the school by, by way of force or anything mm-hmm. that would be upsetting to a child. So that's when the, the circus clowns are able to come in and lure them out with their own bag of peanuts. It it was a good resolution. And they they uh, were then, when the, when the teacher gave, them the okay they were able to leave their lockdown position and uh, you know wave goodbye to the animals and and have their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and and their animal crackers and it returned to a normal day in elementary school well tell us about making it into a book the illustrations are wonderful how did you get in touch with or Oh, I'll tell you, my illustrator, Greg Matuzic, is such a talented illustrator, artist, and designer. He's fabulous. And I met Greg because I was his son's kindergarten teacher. Oh, gosh, uh, Greg! Isn't that yes, Greg and his wife Wendy were uh, parents in my classroom several years ago, and we struck up many conversations and uh, uh, friendship over a lot of shared interests. Uh, the first and most important, of course, being the the welfare of their child in kindergarten and their son. And uh, over the years, we maintained a contact. So I just have to back up. Did had you developed this story at the time that 
his son was in your class? No, it no. wasn't until okay. the, uh, following that year. I, see. I, I That's when our school, it became necessary for our schools to begin practicing. It was sort of a mandate that everybody had to begin practicing lockdown drills in the same way they practice fire drills. So that was a little bit later. So I met Greg through the school and uh, always loved and admired his work. He's a, he's a very gifted illustrator. And uh, I, when I, I came to him uh, last year and I said, you know, I'd love to take this, this story that I have and turn it into a book that I can share with other teachers and families because I think there's a huge need. I had such great success with it. And, but most importantly, I saw the benefit that it had for my students. And I saw that they were not afraid during a lockdown drill and that I could spare them from that trauma and that anxiety. So I felt really compelled to put it in book form. So we uh, we talked about how it would look. And uh, Did you like plot out the page by page or did he take that? Because I love the way you have a very diverse group of students. Oh, isn't that wonderful? And I also love the way, like as you read that first sentence with the two squirrels starting yes. it all, he has a circus coming to town sign in the yes. background. So he has like a little you know, clue that yes. something's coming. And all the way through, they're like little surprises in how he illustrated it. I mean, did you work together? Well, we did collaborate on some ideas for the mm-hmm. pictures, certainly. But my strength is is writing, and his definitely his strength, uh, well, he has many strengths, but one of them is, is certainly illustrating. So I would say that although we collaborated and we worked back and forth on some ideas, the this book, the, the way that this book has come to life as far as the illustrations go, that was that was him that was him it, the colors are so good too aren't They're the colors beautiful <laughs> you just feel they happy are. looking there's a lot of yellow i think the school floor maybe yes. yellow and i love the just, colors yeah uh, and you know i'm glad you mentioned about the diversity of the children who are portrayed in the story because that was something that greg taught me as a as a writer that children want to see themselves in the books that they read, which of course, when he said that, it made perfect sense to me. But he said, you know, I'd like to use this approach where we have children of all different ethnicities in this book, so that we have every, you know, every child can see themselves in this book. And that's just what he did. And he he just did it beautifully. It is. It's a really nice, just to physically hold. Although there's a lot to telling a story and you're a storyteller but to have a book is is just a nice I agree and we're excited thing. we have the spanish version of this book will be out in the within the next month so we have a spanish version and we also have a workbook that's associated with this so if teachers want to extend the lesson a bit or even parents want to extend the lesson there's a workbook that they can they can purchase as well that will So we'll, we should probably let people know how Oh yes that's a good point <laughs> So the book can be purchased on Amazon.com, and I have a very informative website that has all kinds of details and information about the book and how to use the book and the science behind the book. Yeah, and I've been just waiting to work in. You have this wonderful quote, and I'm trying to find it from Fred Rogers. Oh, yes. (laughs) Which just to me speaks to the whole, here we go. There are times when explanations, no matter how reasonable, just don't seem to help. Amen. Amen. Isn't that true? And it's just in this book, you've leapfrogged over what the usual explanation is and provided this other template that really does help. Um, so yeah. oh, I'm so glad. I love that quote from Mr. Rogers as well. <laughs> and and 
um, the all of the things that I'm referring to can be found on my website, which is the um, if you go to lockdownstory.com, you can find all of the things we're talking about. You can purchase the book and, and the uh, workbook there. Um, but just to, to piggyback what you were saying about leapfrogging mm-hmm. over the, the, the subject material, at least the, the, the real reason at this stage for lockdown drills, I do know and recognize that once a child gets to be about second grade, you do have to have a conversation with them about what, at least a small conversation, maybe not a terribly detailed one, about the reason, the, the quote-unquote real reason for lockdown drills. In an age-appropriate way, and that conversation does need to, to take place so that uh, we, can be, we can be honest with children and, and most importantly, well, in addition to being honest with them, equally important, I would say, is allowing, giving them enough information that they are then able to discuss with their family, their parents, their teacher, their own emotions that are associated with a lockdown drill. We have to hold a space for them and give them a space where they can discuss that fear and that anxiety and then offer reassurance to them at a later time. My suggestion with this book and and with this idea that I have is that we just put that conversation off just a little bit. When a child is is, uh, in first grade or kindergarten, to me, that's not the right time to have a really realistic conversation about school intruders and, and gun violence. Let's, um, let's, let's save that for when they're a little bit older. So our time has gone so fast, but this might be a good closing thought. We probably have more parents listening than teachers. Do you have any thoughts for parents? Um, it seems to go back to some of your original advice when you're teaching in this program you're in now, just to get children to articulate what their fears or anxieties are. But do you have any advice around this subject for parents who, you know, aren't in school during the time this is happening and may have a kid come home afterwards upset about yeah. it? Yes. Well, the f- some first advice that I would offer is inquire with your teacher, your child's teacher, and your school, the school that they attend. What, how often they practice lockdown drills If parents are given any advanced warning about lockdown drills prior to that so that they can they can prepare their their child uh, find out what their procedures are ask some questions and if you're not happy with the answers then in a very respectful way maybe suggest that there's an alternative that could work in this case maybe it's maybe it's the book that I have written maybe it's something else that the parent has come up with Uh, but be open to the idea that there might be a better way than what we're currently doing. So I would say be informed about what's going on in your school, your child's school. The second thing I would say is, is always, of course, as every, every parent knows, you have to allow time in your day for your child to talk to you. Uh, it breaks my heart when I see a parent at pickup time um, on their phone. Their child's been waiting all day long to see them, and they walk outside or they're getting into the, into the carpool line, and there's their parent on their phone. They don't greet their child. They don't look up from their phone. It really has, just breaks my heart. Make time for your child to have an informal conversation with you. So much of what a child experiences comes out 
on that ride home from school or those first few minutes off of the bus or when you pick them up from their aftercare program, those incidental conversations tend to be pretty enormous in the life and the emotional well-being and health of your child. So make time, make time at bedtime, make time around the dinner table to listen to what your child is telling you and pick up on things. Be aware of the, of the cues that they're giving you. Are they mentioning something about school frequently? Are they suddenly talking about a bad guy in school or something that, that wasn't on their radar before? Get to the bottom of it. And that comes from time and listening. And then let them speak. Don't be afraid of what they have to say. Don't be afraid of the emotions that they bring to the table. Let those emotions come out. Let them own those emotions and express them in the way that they, they best can express them. But let them give them that safe place and that time and that attention to let those feelings come out. That's that what I would just say. sounds like wonderful advice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you. And thank you for writing this book and sharing your expertise. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed this. Thank you. Hi, this is Marcello Yaya. I'm sometimes called the digital editor here, and I produce these podcasts. I just wanted to quickly say that uh, before these podcasts are recorded, there's a lot of work that Melissa does and puts into them to make them as good as they can be, both in choosing the guests and researching them. And I wanted to ask if any of you can think of somebody who would be good for us to interview next, just send us an email or give us a phone call. Podcasts at altamontenterprise.com or 518-861-4026, extension 102. Thank you.